This Hal Mummy in the Air Raid Offense edition of the Sports Gambling Podcast is presented by MyBookie.ag. The UFC is back. International soccer is back. Plus, they got tons of sports sims to bet on. Use the promo code SGP for up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets. That's MyBookie.ag promo code SGP to play, win, and get paid. We're also brought to you by Madden Mayhem, our Madden Simulation Tournament, where we're giving away ten thousand dollars in my bookie credits to the winners with the best brackets. Just go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden. We're also brought to you by ACE per head. ACE is the leader in pay per head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus ACE is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash S G P. You're listening to the sports gambling podcast exclusively on SGPN. Welcome everyone to the sports gambling podcast. I'm Sean Stack of the Money Green with my partner in picks, Ryan. Real money, Kramer. What's happening, Kramer? Dog. What's up, homie? What's up, indeed? It's a uh, it's Thursday afternoon. Just knocked out an awesome interview with uh, Hal Mummy, and uh, joined in studio third man, aka Colby Dant, aka the Dantabase. What's happening, Colby? I'm ready to air it out. <laughs> it was it was it was a great interview. He had a uh, he had a bunch of awesome like Mike Leach on Nuggets. We talked about some of the Kentucky quarterbacks, Tim Couch, uh, Jared Lorenzen, and uh, yeah, I mean it was just cool to hear kind of them getting started with the air raid, uh, the future of the air raid. He even talks about his air raid certification school, which Colby may or may not be oh, attending. I'm all on board, man. And I'll tell you guys, if you don't know who How Mummy is, you need to because he's a coaching legend, creator of the air raid offense. Him and Mike Leach. So I think everyone's going to dig this. They're they're about to find out, Colby. Yeah. Because not only is a is he a coaching legend, but hell of an interviewee. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was it was a great time uh, catching up with Hal. And uh, later tonight we'll be doing more Madden Mayhem. It kicks off the Sweet Sixteen Hundred, and that's because uh, we did the second second bracket. In case your original bracket got busted, second chance bracket. For the Sweet 16 teams, giving away $1,600. Again, that's courtesy of mybookie.ag, the presenting sponsor of the Sports Gambling Podcast, official home of Mad Mayhem. All you got to do is go to mybookie.ag, promo code SGP to play, win, and get paid. If you want to see where you're at in the leaderboard, uh, you can do that sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden. Kramer has a uh, Madden Mayhem stats page, which he will update when he's done being depressed about the Giants' loss I'm any back. day now. <laughs> I, I I had a spiritual retreat. I'm, I'm recentered. The stats page will be updated tonight, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> and again, if you missed that uh, last Madden Mayhem game of the first round, wow. it's worth replaying. And, and the highlights are up at Gambling Podcast over on Instagram. The Bengals Ravens game was uh, it's. It's one of the greatest moments in stream sports yeah, history, yeah. and and we were a part of it. 
appreciate you guys tuning in Thursday through Sunday, two games a night, straight double headers with all the live action in game wagering over at my bookie.ag props, futures. They got it all. And UFC is going on international soccer. I did like how mummy has a couple of soccer digs, which, which <laughs> I really appreciated. And we'll get to that in just a second before we do uh quick hey, shout Sean, out Sean real quick. Yes. I know you're getting to some business, but he didn't just, he went out of his way to bag on soccer. You love this guy. He, oh, said, was, he will be back on the show for sure. If I have anything to do about it, well, maybe for Colby's graduation ceremony, there we we'll, go, man. his gift will be another how mummy interview him and Mike, him and, him and coach Leach. We'll oh, get man. both on the, oh, I don't on the know same if, one. I don't know if we can handle oh, that. Oh, we could have Colby walk. They could give the speeches. <laughs> I'm all on board. Toss his mortarboard up in the air. <laughs> I feel like they might be down. I, I know they're down. We're, I, I bet mean, you. We're right? definitely. It's when you graduate from AirRadarCertified.com, they take a photo of you and like he tweets it out. We're gonna get you a sash, a gown, a mortarboard, the yes. whole nine. It's gonna be awesome. Well, well, dude. I mean, I, I'm quarantined. I didn't. I've been. Look, guys. I've been battling. You know, I, I got no sports going on. I feel like I just found my summer my do, summer job. Do, do you hear that music? Well, you know what? Your other summer job could be Colby starting your own sports book over at aceperhead.com slash S G P. That's right. At perfect time. Get a little side hustle going. It's just that easy. Uh, you sign up over at aceperhead.com slash S G P get up to six weeks free just by using our link. And of course, ACE, they help you uh, get set up an all-inclusive professional betting site, all the lines updated wagers graded immediately. Top-notch customer support. Uh, some of the sharpest lines in the industry. So you don't have to worry about getting killed. All you got to worry about is uh, finding your customers, filling them up uh, over at your sports book and live betting mobile experience. Ace per head has it all. Just go to aceperhead.com slash S G P joining us on the line, coaching legend and innovator of the air raid offense. Hal mummy. Hal, uh, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. Colby, Sean, Ryan, glad to be with you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for, thanks for calling in. I know it, it's kind of uh unfortunate. The last time you were out coaching, you were on the sidelines there for uh, on the XFL for Dallas renegades and you uh, Cameron artist pain came up on the sidelines. You ended up breaking your leg and then you, you continued calling plays for the next two and a half quarters. What was it like toughing it out with a broken leg and still uh, being on the sidelines? It was kind of a weird injury. It wasn't like it was a compound fracture or anything. I mean, it was, it was, I had two hairline fractures of the tibia at the top, right underneath the knee. And then I also broke that bursa sac that is underneath your kneecap, which is filled with fluid. And so it caused this massive swelling that yeah, I mean, right as I got off the turf, my knee was already the size of a grapefruit. Oh man. Jeez. It, it just continued to swell over the next few days. Um, but we, you know, I was just kind of in the flow of the game. I certainly didn't want to do anything to hurt our team. We had, we had a good game with those guys and, uh, kind of blew it at the end. But, but, uh, after the game was over, I went out to say hello to, to June Jones and some of the fellows on his staff. And, and I, I got about halfway out there and I realized I was getting pretty woozy. Oh man. And so they, they carried me to the train room and then they took me to the emergency room. After that, I spent most of the night in the hospital. All right. 
I think you got heavy odds now. If there's ever a coaching Royal rumble, I think we're going to have to pick you as the, well, the I was leader. Gonna, it, yeah. it certainly is a great way to gain some respect from the players because they, yeah, they, well, they, I, I, I don't know about winning the rumble, but I certainly can take a blow. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you, what, uh, what was your thought on the XFL as a whole? I, I know we were fans of it. It seemed uh, it was just exciting to have spring football and, and kind of another alternate league, possibly a farm system developing for the NFL. Is there any chance the XFL returns? And, and if not, do you think there is hope for a, a second football league down the line? I think what we did more than anything else is we proved the concept. And, and uh, if you play between the super bowl and the start of major league baseball, you've probably got 30 minute, 30 million possible eyeballs you can get on, on games. And, they told me a stat right before we finished that we were averaging something like 1.6 million viewers for each of our games. In contrast, Major League Soccer, who has a $90 million a year contract with one of the networks, is, it averages 300,000. So <laughs> I think it certainly was viable uh, for the future. We also did really good on ticket sales. We, I, I know in Dallas, we were averaging right about 20,000. Um, St. Louis was really had, a, had a, a larger number than that. I think Seattle did too. So I, you know, I think it's really, really doable. It was a fun league. I thought that all the, the, the front office of the XFL did a great job kind of innovating the game in terms of like the communication between the coordinators and the, you know, the skill guys on the field. Was it, uh, a- I thought the kickoff rule was really innovative. Yeah, the kickoff rule definitely seems. Uh, I could see the NFL uh, stealing that uh, down the line here. When uh, when when they were doing the XFL games, a lot of times they would have uh, the play call also be broadcast to the people at home. Was that weird calling plays, knowing that people could hear um, your play call at all? I think it caused some paranoia by some people. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you'd look at you'd look at the film after and 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 the, and it didn't. You know this this player that play didn't work and somebody go well they probably had the play call I was, no they didn't have the play call we just didn't block <laughs> you have to actually block them yeah I know we had we had uh, Mike Leach on and he was he was kind of making fun of coaches who put the card in front of their mouth to block like potential lip readers. <laughs> And his point was, yeah, I had to, I had to make that real quick. Cause I've, uh, I've always done that too. And, and, and then the lo and behold, we have the first game. And the, so we go out there to play the second game against, uh, in, in fact, it was LA. Um, I was at that game. And they, yeah. And, and so they asked me about that and I said, no, we're not blocking the, uh, because it leech had just made that comment. So they brought that up and I said, no, we're, I said, I'm not holding my hand over my mouth so that to hide my lips. I'm holding my man, my hand over the mouth. Cause they can't hear if I don't cup. Oh my yeah. Hand it gets over, too loud over that little microphone. <laughs> Cause there's too much noise, background noise, you know? So yeah, I, yeah, yeah I had to clarify that for the announcement. <laughs> now, now you, you and uh, coach Leach, who, like I said, been on the podcast a bunch of times. We even went up to Pullman and, and, and got to meet him and hang out there last year. Uh, you were the first one to real. I mean, I know he had some other gigs, but you gave him the OC job, I believe, in at Iowa at, at uh, Iowa Wesleyan. Uh, can you can you walk us through your relationship with Coach Leach and how that even came to fruition? That that's a humorous deal. Um, 
if you read if you read Sam Gwynn's The Perfect Pass, it's it's really described well. Uh, really, I, when I got that job there, nobody nobody wanted to come with me. <laughs> I brought my defensive coordinator from the high school I was at in Texas. He was the only one brave enough to come. Mike Major. Were they and, uh, were they terrible prior? A, oh, they hadn't won a game in two years. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay. And. And so this friend of mine, Steve Kazar, who's actually one of the chief scouts for the Rams out there with you guys. Wow. He was on Mike Ditka's staff at the time with the Bears. They just won the Super Bowl and you know, they were kind of rocking and rolling. Well, he calls me up at this high school. I was at Coppers Cove in Texas. And he says, I know you want to run that offense in college. Would you like to be a head coach? I said, Well, sure. I said, Where is it? And he goes, Iowa Wesleyan. <laughs> he said, I'm the I'm the unofficial selection committee. The president gave me my first job a long time ago and he called me, wanted me to help him pick a coach. I said, well, how are they? I said, does he want to win? He goes, oh yeah, he really wants to win. I said, well, how are they? He goes, they're the worst football team I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that, that's so that first the, job I got for you. Campus. Yeah. Well, he lined me up. They, well, I, they were offering it to a Texas high school coach cause no Iowa high school coach would take it. <laughs> and, uh, so about a month or so later, I get the job. I get to campus. They have this press conference to announce me, and there's like two reporters show up, <laughs> and, and the, the Mount Pleasant News and, and the Burlington Hawkeye, and uh, and then they said we got a team meeting set for right after the news conference. So we walk through the snow across campus to this little dingy gym, and uh, we're going there, and I'm sitting in there, and I had brought five players with me that I had recruited that were guys that had played for me in high school. They just wanted to come. So they came up there and reported and, uh, I'm sitting in there. There's those five guys and there's two other guys and I'm sitting there waiting for everybody else to show up. And finally this little guy on the front row looks at me, he says, are you the new coach? And I go, yeah. I said, where's the rest of the team? He goes, nobody came back at semester. <laughs> we're the only two. Oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> so what do you, what do you do to fill out the team then? Well, my defensive coordinator looked at me. I I didn't know what to say, so I just kind of gave him the same speech I was going to give forty guys. I just told him we were going to work hard, and get in the off season, lift weights, you know, and, and uh, kind of taken back by the whole thing. And so after I finished my little pep talk, I walk outside, and my defensive coordinator goes, "I don't know about you, but I'm not going to worry about weights. I'm going to go recruit." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so seriously. We we just hit the road and we rounded up. Uh, we rounded up about 70 guys and I think 52 of them stuck it out that first year. And, uh, we won seven games though. We got good. Got pretty good. We had a quarterback and some receivers. And that's before coach Leach comes there or, 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 or what? Leach, Leach sent me a resume. I got back down after that meeting, I went down to the little office they gave me and, uh, there was all these pink in those days. You had those little pink slips, you know, when you got phone calls, and I, there's all these pink slips. I'm going through them, and I'm thinking they're all guys wanting to be assistants that I could talk to. And there's a stack of about 30 or 40 of them, and 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 all but two of them were ads that wanted to play us for homecoming. <laughs> so the 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 two that weren't were guys that actually wanted to be on my staff, and one of them was Mike Leach. And and so I searched through some resumes that got sent in and. 
and his resume was in there. I noticed he was from BYU, which, of course, everything we were doing was based on Lavelle Edwards' old BYU offense. And uh, so I called him, and then that that just start, struck up this friendship. And and uh, I, every year I would go out and visit BYU at their spring practice in April. So I said, look, he was he was coaching at College of the Desert, and and he, I'm, I'm the only job. He's the only guy I could have hired that was happy with the twelve thousand dollar a year salary. <laughs> because at College of the Desert, he was only making six thousand dollars, and he had to watch the rec gym do that. Oh man! <laughs> so, and he was coaching D. I think he was coaching defensive ends, but he really wanted to be on offense. He really wanted to do something because he had been at BYU when they had Jim McMahon and Steve Young, and he he really admired that type of offense. And when he decided to be a coach, obviously he wanted to do that. So somehow or another, he, he's a really smart guy. He just really figured out what I was going to do. And so he really wanted to come over there with us. And, and it was the perfect fit. And I had tried to hire some old line coaches because I was going to make the old line coach, the coordinator. And then I, I would call the plays and be the coach, the quarterbacks and receivers. That way we kind of do it with two guys, you know, it was small plays. And we, we had some part-time guys who would come out and help us, but basically I could have myself and one other guy. We would pretty much do the offense, you know? And, and so I, I tried to hire some offensive line coaches. You got to remember this is 1989. Now I'm, I'm telling, I, I'm, I'm talking to these guys. And I'm telling them, well, we're going to throw the ball 50 times a game. I want you to have big splits and we're going to play out of a two point stance about 70 or 80% of the time. And, uh, you know, about halfway through that little talk, they'd get up and walk out of the room. So, no, in 1989, no self-respecting old line coach was going to have big splits and play in a two-point stance. But so I got to thinking, well, I just I don't need I don't need to hire an old line coach. I just need to hire somebody that's smart, and then I can teach him what I want. And so that's what I did with Mike Leach. I realized real fast just talking to him that he was extremely brilliant. What was that? What was so, he he was the first O line coach. He's the one that developed all the drills and all the techniques for air raid football. Wow. What was uh what was Leach like in the interview? Um I met him at BYU and we had already talked probably a hundred hours on the phone. So it really was pretty informal. But I'll tell you the interview part that was funny and more formal was the president, I had made a deal with him when I went there that I got to hire whoever I wanted on the staff, and he agreed to that. Now, I didn't have much money to hire him with, but I could hire him if I wanted. <laughs> and, uh, and so after I, when I went out to BYU in April, I said, Mike, I want you to, you got to come back and do this little dog and pony show. I said, you got the job, but you got to come back and you got to meet with the admissions committee and the academic committee and the you know, the SID, all all these people on campus and the president. And so we set up a time about a month later where he and his wife, Sharon drove out there and, and he went through this process and, and he came in and, and you guys have been around Mike. So, you you know, he's not exactly a clothes horse. (laughs) Dressing up for an interview was pretty, pretty, I will put I, well, to be honest with you, I'm not either. I, I always loved having Mike on the staff because I could never be the worst dressed guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
he shows up ready for the interview like that. And then he goes around to all these committees. It takes all day. It's probably eight hours. <laughs> and at the end, I'm sitting in my office and our athletic director, David Johnson walks in and I looked at him and I said, uh, I said, how'd he do? And David looks at me, he goes, nobody likes him. Nobody. <laughs> and I said that I said a cuss word and I said, well, basically the hell with you guys. I'm going to hire him anyway. Oh, I love it. And <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was Mike's, uh, introduction. But then he had, uh, he had committed and he asked me, he said, I'll take the job, but I've already, I, I want to go be a head coach in Finland for the summer. <laughs> And he had told him he would do it. He wanted to just be a head coach. He just wanted to have the experience of doing that. And he figured going over there, coaching a bunch of 40, 40 year old Finlanders that <laughs> drink, drink a lot of beer and smoke cigarettes between, between series would probably be a good way to get an experience at being a head coach. I would pay for and game so footage. I agreed to that. Yeah. So yeah, that me too. That would have been <laughs> awesome. They probably didn't have enough money to even have a camera. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But he went over there and did that for the summer, and then he showed up about August the 1st, about the same time all our players we recruited came in. And so I didn't really have any time to work with him, you know, before we started. So I uh, I thought in our meetings, you know, between practices, I thought the first – I'll go sit in on some of Mike's meetings just to see how he's doing, you know, see if he needs any help. And I went in there and it, it, I sat in on about one or two. And then I realized this, this guy's brilliant. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do this. This guy's got it in hand. And he, he'd already, he'd already picked up the offense like in a week, you know, or less than a week. So, uh, no, he, he, he did a great job and he was the old line coach there for three years and the coordinator. And, uh, and then we went to Valdosta state and had a chance to hire guy Morris. And Mike always wanted to be a head coach. I said, look, it'd be better if you move over and help me with the quarterbacks and receivers, and then you can say you've coached the whole offense. And so he did that. And then after two years at Valdosta, guy left and went to the Cardinals with Buddy Ryan. And so I said, Mike, I can't hire a better O-line coach than you, so you're going to have to move back to the O-line. And then after three years, we, we won a couple of championships and – and and CM Newton gave us a chance to come to Kentucky and and so we went up there and and uh, CM says now look I you know I'm kind of stepping out on limb here hiring a Division two coach I, I need you to hire staff uh, that you know is from some bigger places well guy happened to be at Mississippi State with Jackie Sherrill and I knew he wasn't very happy there so I hired guy back and Mike moved back to coaching quarterbacks and receivers. So he kind of made the move twice there. He had, had good experience at the whole thing. And, and then after two years, Kentucky, we went to, uh, we went to the first new year's day bowl they'd been to since bear Bryant was the coach there. And that, that was big news. And so then Bob Stoops got the job at OU and we had kind of, we never did beat Florida, but we kind of drove Bob crazy. And, uh, and so Bob wanted to run the offense, so he hired Mike at OU. Yeah, that that that's just. A, uh, I'm fascinated by all of that. I'm fascinated by the air raid offense in general. So, just from the start or through your whole career, how many co- did you ever have coaches come up to you and say, "What the hell are you doing with this?" Oh yeah, particularly early on, you know, um, they they. Uh, I remember my first year at Copper's Cove high school. We, we, uh, in those days in Texas, there, there was like a handful of coaches and we we're all friends. 
because we were the only guys throwing the ball, you know, everything was wishbone. You, you'd, look, you'd look at, you'd look at the passing stats each week and, and there, there'd be rusty Dowling's mission high school, Al mummy's coppers cove high school. And, and we've thrown for say after three games, we've thrown for a thousand yards. And then the third place team has thrown for 250. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, there was, there was literally just a few guys doing it. Uh, Sonny Detmer, Ty's dad down in San Antonio was doing it. Uh, Todd Dodge's coach, uh, over there in the Beaumont area was throwing the ball. They're they're really just, there literally was just probably a half a dozen that was throwing it more, more than 25 times a game. When we had Mike on, Mike was talking about, uh, or one of the times we've had Mike on that Tim couch was one of the greatest throwing specimens he's ever seen. And he still, he kind of blamed the Cleveland Browns. He doesn't believe he he doesn't believe that his career would have went that, that way in the pros had it not been for the Cleveland Browns. What was your experience? Because I mean, uh, Tim Brown Heisman finally, I mean, Tim Brown, Tim couch Heisman finalist, uh, you know, what, what was your experience with having Tim couch as your quarterback? And then I'm going to get to uh, the hefty lefty after that, but uh, talk, walk me through uh, you, you, with those quarterbacks, those awesome quarterbacks you had that made the pros. Well, we were lucky cause Tim couch, we inherited and, uh, they had, he had not played much the, under the previous staff as a true freshman. And then I got there and, and I made him the starting quarterback from day one. Cause I, I knew what he could do. I'd watched him in high school and I knew what the other guy could do too. I'd watched him in high school. So I, I knew Tim would be our quarterback. So I tried to move the other guy to slot receiver and then make Tim the quarterback. And the other guy chose to transfer. So along with a couple other quarterbacks, since I made, made Tim the starter that first spring at Kentucky, we only had Tim couch was the only quarterback we had in the spring. <laughs> wow. So we go out there to drills and they, all the coaches and managers were throwing balls along with Tim, but, but getting back to Tim, Tim is, is probably you know, he, he's right up there with all the, the natural throwers and passers that I've had. He, he's, you know, if he's, he's the best or he's the benchmark and, and, uh, we've had a few that are similar, uh, but Tim, Tim just had it all. I mean, he, he had passion for the game. He had vision on the field. He had courage. Uh, he, he had, a, he had a great arm. He had great pocket feet and, and uh, great, great awareness in the pocket. So he, he took to this thing like a duck to water. And, and, uh, our first game at, at Kentucky, we had to play Louisville and they hadn't beaten Louisville in a while. And Louisville was actually ranked going into that game. And, and so we were big underdogs there in Commonwealth stadium and, and, uh, the whole, in the whole state of Kentucky, there was probably about four or five people that thought we would win. <laughs> and, and what I was one of them and Mike Leach was one of them and Tim couch was one of them. Now, other than that, there was a lot of naysayers out there. There's a lot of people hopeful, but most people were, were, uh, were pretty, pretty skeptical of the whole thing, you know? And then somewhere about the middle of the first quarter after Tim had thrown three touchdown passes, that kind of subsided. (laughs) (laughs) And then, okay. So, so walk me through Lorenzen, because I would imagine when you get Jared Lorenzen, that people in the town would be like, what you're starting this, you know, and rest in peace to, to Jared Lorenzen, by the way, uh, super bowl champion. Yeah. New York giant. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, yeah. And, and that, that's probably the most disappointing thing about 
me getting run off at Kentucky's. I didn't get to finish coaching that class. We had a, we, it wasn't just Jared. We had a great group of players that my last season there, we only won two games, but we started, we started eight freshmen on offense. And, and so they were just getting groomed up and, uh, you know, Jared had a, he had several games where he was just unreal. He threw for 520 yards against Georgia. Now, now did they I mean, give you a hard time about that? Games like that? Yeah. Well, I met Jared when I first got there. I remember sitting in the, the little, the little coach's office there with Chris Hatcher and Tim couch and myself, and we're watching film and you kind of feel, you know, the door was open. You kind of felt the door close, you know? And I turned around and there's this gigantic person standing in the doorway. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, can I help you? And he goes, well, I'm just here visiting, but I'd like to be your quarterback someday. And I'm looking at, looking at this big guy and I'm thinking, yeah, you might be my left tackle. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was just a huge person and had as big a heart as he was physical and, and just, you know, just a great person. Nicer, nicer, one of the nicest people I've ever coached. A lot of fun to be around. Always, always laughing, uh, always having a good time, but, but he could, he could flat out just throw a football, uh, better than anybody I've ever had. I'll give you an example. We used to put on this quarterback camp there in the summers and we'd have all the rising juniors and seniors and in high school and they would come and one of the drills we had, we would, we would have them stand in the middle of the field and throw the ball about 20 yards down the field on the sidelines, like they're throwing a hole shot. And we would put a radar gun behind the guy catching the ball. And so we had all these big name quarterbacks from all over America doing this and they were throwing it and we were right. They were throwing it like 48 miles an hour, 52 miles an hour. So right in that range. And here comes Jared walking. He was in summer school. This is before he'd ever suited up for us. He was just there as a fre- getting ready to be a freshman, but going to summer school. And he's walking across there, and he's he's got on his penny loafers and the button-down shirt. And he watches for a few minutes, and he goes, Coach, can I try? I go, yeah, sure. Get out there, big guy. So he drops back in his penny loafers and fires it over there at the guy, and it's 64 miles an hour. Oh, my God. Jeez. It's insane and, for and, football. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He hadn't even warmed up, you know, he's still in his penny loafer. <laughs> oh, I mean, he, he, uh, he, yeah, no, he, he just, he had a tremendous arm and a tremendous release. Uh, I wish I could have finished coaching. It would have been a lot of fun. Now I know you're doing a lot of, uh, you got, you have a website set up air, uh, air raid certified.com. You offer some training. What, yeah. what exactly uh, do you get by getting the air raid certification? What's all involved? Well, what I did, I had so many people coming to visit me and they'd come and they'd, they'd spend a day or two and then they'd call me up and want me to recommend them for a job. Well, you know, you don't really get to know you very much about a guy in two days. You don't really know what he learned sitting there to listen to you on the board or maybe watching a couple of practices. And so AJ Smith, my partner in this is a brilliant young coach and he's, he's uh, really good at social media and technical stuff. And and uh, he came up with this idea. He said, Coach, why don't we just put the whole air raid course as an online course? And then we'll have people take the test, take, watch the videos, take a test, and then watch some more videos, take another test. So basically, it's 17 online 
videos that are anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes long. And it basically gives you the entire offense and all the game planning and all the strategy, all the practice scheduling and uh, all the philosophy behind air raid. And then at the end, you, you have to score 93% on each test in order to pass. And then, then you're certified. And so guys that are certified, then I'll, I'll call it, tell people that they know the offense and, and, re- and they can use my name on their resume and stuff like that. That's cool. Do you, it, we've had a great response. I think we're up to around 500 coaches. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's, it's a great way of organizing it. Do you have to be a coach to sign up for the air raid certification? Cause I, I, I know my partner over here, Colby would really like to get <laughs> deep into it as an analyst. No, he, actually we've had, uh, we've had fans take it. Awesome. AJ told me today that, that, that guy at bar to barstool sports took it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we, we've had a lot, we've had a lot of guys that, uh, that have done it just because they're in They, you know, the, when they watch a game, they want to know what's going on. And, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of a lot of non-football well, Sean, non-football what, coaches. Take what, it. what better way to spend your time in quarantine than? Yeah, yeah, that that really has. Uh, there, there's been a lot of them take it during this. Just <laughs> probably out of sheer boredom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had a lot of highlights in your career. Uh, one, you know, a, as a fan, as a whiskey drinker, I I saw this. When you beat Alabama in 1997, when you're at Kentucky, Maker's Mark yeah. made you a personalized bottle of whiskey. It came in this like little <laughs> mummy cask. I gotta say, I as a whiskey guy and as a, as a football fan, that I was completely jealous of that. What happened there? And did you ever end up drinking the bottle, or do you just keep it as a keepsake? No, I uh, no. My son actually has the bottle on his mantle out there, and the, you know, my son's the OC at Nevada, and. Uh, He's at, he actually has that and the, the sarcophagus and the, and the Emmy that Bill Samuels won. He won the advertising Emmy with that. Oh, wow. Wow. And it was, it was brilliant, really a brilliant ploy. And Bill and I became great friends when I was in Kentucky and he used to host us for Derby and stuff like that. But, uh, he's actually a Louisville guy. He was on the board of regents of Louisville when I was at Kentucky. And so, uh, but we just became friends because I liked his, I liked his, is bourbon. And, uh, <laughs> it's a good guy to be friends with. What, what we got to say. Yeah. And, and, and so he, we just hit it off and became great friends. And so after that first year, I'm driving to work one day and I look up on this billboard and it's, it's, it's this an entire billboard and it's black with gold outline. And it's got a picture of this whiskey bottle taped up like a mummy coming out of sarcophagus and the caption at the bottom said, Mark of a great coach. <laughs> That's great, man. And, and Bill came up with this all by himself. He never hired an advertising agent or anything like that. He came up with all his slogans. He's really a brilliant guy. But the, the thing he did was he didn't use blue and white. He didn't use my name. He didn't use a wildcat. So he didn't have to pay the university of Kentucky, the licensing fee. And so it, it totally pissed off the UK people. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of free advertising. Didn't make any money off of it. We, yeah. we 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 might have to but set an over under on that whiskey bottle being drank since we're all quarantined right now. I, maybe your son's <laughs> gonna have to dive into that bottle. Yeah, that, I'm a little worried about it out there. <laughs> that's for sure. If he ever needs, yeah. if he ever needs more free you know, advertising, Bill actually did it. The, the next year, Rick Patino left, and we hired Tubby Smith, and Bill did the same thing again. And he put a whiskey bottle in a uh, old fashioned bathtub on ice, and and used the same caption. Yeah. 
That that's great. Yeah, but, yeah. If you, that that's a that was a that was a fun deal. I'm, I appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> of course, man. Of course, um, Coach. I was wondering. I I was recently I was doing some homework on you, and I I found out that you are a huge fan of the triple option, which kind of blew my mind a little bit because you know air raid pass heavy, you know, and and triple option the complete opposite. What what what? Why are you such a huge fan of the triple option offense? Well, I was particularly the wishbone um, because, well, first of all, I grew up in Texas at the General <laughs> Royals' heyday and Emory Ballard, but I always admired Emory Ballard because he was such a, uh, uh, you know, he, he came up with this idea. It was a bit far fetched, uh, but he he figured out a way to be able to play football and put people in 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 uh in binds, you know, where they were gonna they were gonna be wrong no matter what they did. And so when we started doing air raid, I the, the thing I liked about what I saw BYU doing in the early days and Mouse Davis and the run and shoot was they did the same thing with the secondary that, that Emory was doing with the front for the most part, which was isolate defenders and, and have them be wrong no matter what they did. And so I, I've always thought of it as just the flip side of the coin, uh, where what, one team's going to live on the edge by running the ball all the time. Therefore, they would get some big plays throwing occasionally. And if you go back and look at particularly the old University of Texas when Daryl Royal was there, their their biggest games when they first started, a lot of their their huge plays that are memorable. For instance, the pass against Arkansas on fourth and one. Uh, to Randy from James Street to Randy Peschel, that you know, a huge play in the passing game. Even though they're a team that runs the ball all the time, so we were just going to be the opposite of that. We were going to have huge plays in the run game because we could throw it so good. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, kind of way to approach it. Was there was there one thing in particular that that uh, kind of got the air raid offense going as far as like creating it? Um, I, I know obviously the BYU connection, but. Did you have a moment and go like, I need to create a new uh, offensive system or, or was it just like a slow gradual thing that you eventually decide to throw a name on? When did, when did the emergence of the air raid happen? Well, we started out by trying to copy BYU and a little bit of stuff I learned from mouse Davis and June Jones. So that was our offense, but we were still playing out of a huddle, you know, and stuff like that. And then, um, we uh, we had 1991 came along at Iowa Wesley, and then we'd gotten so good so fast that none of those little schools around there would play us. <laughs> and we were independent, so we looked up, and all of a sudden we're playing these big state schools and teams that are nowadays uh, Division Two or or FCS for the most part. And I looked at our schedule. We had everybody back. We had our quarterback back and all our receivers, our old, everybody on offense. We had won, I think, seven or eight games the year before and gone to a little bowl game. And uh, I told Mike, I said, we need an edge because we may have the best team we've ever had here and only win three games because the schedule's so difficult. <laughs> and so, like we, like we always did around there when we needed an idea, we'd hit the road. Cause it was hard to think in that basement office and with the window <laughs> wells filled up with snow in Iowa. So I talked the president of getting us a couple of tickets to Florida to go recruit. And 
I told Mike, I said, find somebody we can sign in Florida. So Mike being Mike, he finds a kicker in Key West. Wrote <laughs> 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 off uh, the entire trip. We only money to fly to Orlando. <laughs> so we got to drive from Orlando to Key West, and we signed about 40 kids, I think, in between. But uh, when we got to Orlando, Mike says, you know, they got this spring league going on. I think it was the World League of American Football. <laughs> And Orlando had a team, and Mike knew one of the coaches. He said, let's go watch him practice. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So we go over there, and their head coach was a guy named Don Matthews who was went on to win six Grey Cups, six or seven Grey Cups in Canada. He was a great coach. And uh, we went there, and they were real cordial to us. They let us hang around with them all day and watch the team. you know. And, and uh, we go out to practice, and I asked Coach Matthews, I said, what's y'all's best drill? And, and I thought he was going to maybe give me like a quarterback drill or something, you know? And he looks at me, he says, well, watch bandit drill at the end. That's our two minute offense drill. That's what we do best. So at the end of practice, they line up to do this. And I'd seen two minute offensive drills before, but I'd never seen one this, this well organized. And they had everybody in place. The Offensive guys on one sideline and the defensive guys on the other sideline, they're subbing just like they did during a game. And they had somebody spotting the ball just like a referee. And, and, uh, they were, they were calling another play before the previous play was even finished and, uh, just go right down the field. Bing, 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 you know? And I looked at Mike and I said, that's the edge we're looking for. I said, that's, that, that's, that's what we're going to do. I said, we're not going to do it for two minutes. We're going to do it the whole game. And so we went back to Iowa Wesley and then we put it in and, and, uh, against that almost impossible schedule that year, we end up winning 10 games. Awesome. That's great. And did you, uh, were you the one that, that said like when, when people ask, what is this offense and you gave it the air raid or is that something no, that might get, Mike gave it the air raid name. Cause my, in order to earn his $12,000 a year, <laughs> he had to have a few extra jobs so, <laughs> as well as being the offensive coordinator. He had to also be the SID for football oh, nice. <laughs> because, because I, well, if you're in Iowa, the whole thing is being in the Des Moines register. If you're not in Des Moines register, That's a big then paper. you don't count. <laughs> and, and I Wesleyan hadn't been in there since the, their inception in 1849. <laughs> and so Mike, I, I said, Mike, why don't you, we, I mean, we had this publicity person on campus, but she'd write up our little tiny articles about the team and turn them in two weeks later, you know? So they never got, they never got printed. <laughs> so Mike started writing up articles right after the game. just like he was a sports writer. <laughs> uh, this is and such he, a funny he starts, visual. He started faxing them. Yeah. Well, he would, he would fax them to the Des Moines register and the Burlington Hawkeye and USA Today and all sorts of stuff. So, one day he came in and he said, you know, it would really help if we had a name for our offense. And I said, well, what do you mean? We got, we just say offense and they run on the field. <laughs> and he goes, no, I don't mean that. He said, I'm talking about for my articles. I said, oh, okay. What do you got in mind? And he said, well, Steve Spurrier's at Duke and he has this thing he calls air ball. I was thinking about calling ours air raid. I said, well, sounds good to me. Go for it. So Mike gave it the name. He, he came up with the air raid name. And then it didn't really catch on much at Wesley. And although he did get us in USA Today and the Des Moines Register, <laughs> and uh, 
But when we got to Valdosta State, we had a real SID, and he picked up on it. And then one of our players' dads started bringing an air raid siren to the games. Oh, nice! <laughs> and and every time we'd score, he'd crank that puppy up. And after the after the first year of doing that, the whole conference got together and passed a rule that you couldn't do it. <laughs> so, but he would bring it anyway, and he'd put it on top of the in the attic of the frat house that overlooked the stadium, and he'd sit up and watch the game in the in the attic of the frat house. And, and then fired up anyway. That's awesome. It's hard to stop progress. <laughs> uh, one more yeah, question. One more question before we uh, let you go here. And, and again, appreciate your time. Where do you see, of course, Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL? Uh, I, I'm looking at the website route right now. Air Raid certified. Where do you see the future of the Air Raid offense going? More NFL, more college modifications. Where, where do you kind of see the future for it? Well, I think the biggest change was whenever Dana Holgerson, one of our protégés, went down there with Kevin Sumlin to Houston, and they started RPOing, and, yeah. and really made that popular. People had been doing a little bit of that prior to that, but they started doing some really neat stuff with it, where they weren't just throwing screens; they were throwing the ball down the field. And, and of course, everybody's picked up on that, and it's kind of given given the air raid kind of a set uh, run game that we never really had in the past. Our run game was we just look at the back and go, okay, what can he do good? And then have a couple of plays for him. But uh, it, now it's, it's pretty much an inside zone uh, RPO game, which has really taken it to another level. That's why you're, you're seeing all these tremendous uh, uh, stats of, you, you know, I mean, we've had, a, when I was at McMurray, we had a day where we had over 800 yards offense. We set the D three record for passing and, and, uh, and, and still rush for 150 yards. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think that is, is where it's at right now. And, and defenses have been forced to adjust to it and they've been, and everybody plays fast now. So I don't think, uh, I don't think the game's going to go back to, okay, let's all huddle up and, and, uh, line up with these guys in the backfield and try and knock everybody down and have inside drill. So my original vision of the whole thing was just that we were going to do something that was so much fun for players that they would want to play football instead of soccer. <laughs> and it, it's kind of worked out. It's awesome. Yeah, Football <laughs> continues to dominate soccer. Appreciate your time. Uh, Coach mummy yeah. and uh, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Hal mummy and Go to uh, airraidcertified.com if you're looking to get uh, certified fully, in the air raid office. Sean, I fully expect yeah, Colby to get certified. You can hang that right next to your BA degree on the wall. I, oh yeah, <laughs> I know what I'm doing with my summer, Coach. I'm looking forward to to, to seeing what, it, what what happens with your next stop, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on the program. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Once again, that was Hal Mummy, and uh, looking forward to Colby graduating from AirRaidCertified.com. Shout out to the new DJ. Oh, dude, I've been trying. This is if you want some bone rattling bass in your ad rates and transition music, I'm your guy. Again, uh, Colby, thanks for uh, you've been killing it with uh, these bookings. We got Joe Theismann, yeah. Nick Rolovich, Hal Mummy was awesome. Jeff Blake, so. If you're uh, and they're all evergreen episodes, if you're looking hopefully, to catch up, hopefully the girls at the Air Raid University are the same as East Carolina because I had a good I had a good run there, so I'm just going to try to. Well, go hopefully, and, and you know, C's <laughs> don't get degrees at AirRaidCertified.com. I don't know if you heard Colby, but you need a 93 to pass, so you're really gonna you're really gonna have to study pretty hard. Of course, make sure you check out the Dantabase 
over on Twitter at the Colby D. And of course, the college experience on its own separate feed. Download it, subscribe. Him and Patty C are walking through every position, giving their top 10 rankings and just uh, having a grand old time over there. And of course, make sure to check out Madden Mayhem airing two nights or two games per night Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday till we crown a Super Bowl sim champ. 5 p.m. on the West Coast, 8 o'clock East for the first game, and then uh, two hours later, kicking off the late game. Thank you for participating in the Sports Gambling Podcast. And for the Sports Gambling Podcast, I'm Sean stacking the Money Green, and he is Ryan. Join the 271 who already have and follow me on Instagram at Kramer Centric. Kramer, let it ride. (laughs) 